Yeah, look, I, I think really it, it's brought to light, uh, I'd say, at least two uh, in key aspects of really what has dictated uh, COVID policy uh, throughout the last two years. And it's, it's, it's sort of the political terrain that the, the federal government prefers to keep the political discussion on. So I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're now seeing all of this uh, media show around Djokovic uh, when we know for a fact that another tennis player, uh, a Czech woman tennis player, entered the country a month ago on the exact same exemption, played in a tournament in Australia, and only after Djokovic's case uh, was chased up by border force and deported from the country. So there's, there's, there's politics behind this. And what I would argue is the two main ones is, firstly is Morrison's push, particularly as we know of an election coming up, to reaffirm the idea that borders, uh, no matter how arbitrary or discriminatory the policies are, are, are what, have, what have kept Australia safe. And we see how arbitrary and discriminatory these policies are, firstly, by using the example of the Czech player who, who was allowed in. Secondly, by looking at the fact that we know that uh, Djokovic's exemption, which the Victorian government accepted, um, was based on the fact that he had recently acquired COVID-19. Now, almost everywhere in the world, uh, a recent infection of COVID-19 is seen as basically being on par as vaccination. Uh, the argument is your body has created antibodies, uh, much like a vaccine does, although, of course, a vaccine does it in a much safer manner. Uh, getting COVID naturally puts you at risk of hospitalisation and death. Um, but once those antibodies are there, you have a certain natural immunity as, as for a minimum for six months. And so in most countries around the world, uh, when we talk about things like vaccine passports, uh, it's not just vaccinations that count, but also uh, recent COVID infections. So this is Djokovic's reasoning uh, for coming in, one that scientifically has, you know, stands the ground. But irrespective of that, uh, irrespective of, of how clear the science is on that, the government uh, has used, at the last moment, uh, used him uh, to cancel his visa uh, and to draw attention to how, once again, the Australian government is using his borders uh, to keep everyone free. Well, we've seen multiple other cases that don't even get to the media. I mean, just in the last few months, we've heard of ludicrous cases of people who are vaccinated uh, but being denied entry because it's the wrong vaccine, mm. in some cases because it's the Sputnik uh, Russian vaccine. Mm. So we've seen that the, the case of uh, 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 others who have been denied entry because of the supposed wrong vaccine or, 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 or other, other arbitrary rulings. Um, and, of course, we know that the vast majority of particularly the people in the Global South are unvaccinated, not by choice, but because they have no, no access to it. So I think that, that's one aspect to it. The other one, of course, is it, once again, it allows the government to essentially point the finger and, and put the blame at individuals. And we only have to think about the fact that just less than, you know, just a bit over a week ago, all of the media was focusing on the fact that the government was essentially, you know, uh, would not foot the bill to do a basic health measure like allowing people to have access, free access to rapid antigen tests, a, a vital instrument in helping us to um, deal with, with COVID-19. Well, it does seem... It does seem quite absurd, really, doesn't it, given that there were nearly uh, 20,000 uh, new cases in New South Wales just yesterday. The fact that, you know, uh, quite clearly Omicron is spreading throughout nearly everywhere in Australia, with the exception over here in, in WA. And, and it does, it, it seems very much like a, a case of uh, an, an attempt to distract the public from the uh, the total lack of, uh, I guess, the, the state's response and the federal government's response to COVID-19, lack of testing 
testing facilities, quarantine facilities, and so forth. Do, do you think that's uh, the uh, the main motivation here? It's just an attempt to uh, use uh, Djokovic as as a scapegoat, and also, as you're indicating there, really reinforce these uh, these border sort of, sort of punitive border measures. Yeah, yeah, it's it's reinforced the punitive border measures. But also to, to highlight the fact that it's individuals and not government failure that are responsible for the situation we're in. I mean, the idea that, say, for instance, in Victoria, where you know they're recording tens of thousands of cases a day, a person who's COVID negative and has a recent COVID infection, so therefore has the equivalent of a vaccination, is somehow a, 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 a mortal threat to public health, just is, is laughable. It, it, it makes no sense. It only makes sense if what you're trying to say is you're sending the message that the, your, the, the problem isn't that governments haven't been funding healthcare, not just for the last two years, but for the last 20 or 30 years, they've been defunding healthcare. That's not the issue. The issue is a, a recalcitrant few who, for, for a whole variety of different reasons, uh, re- refuse to, to get vaccinated. And of course, Djokovic plays, all, plays into this because, you know, he's, 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 a, he's you know, widely unpopular. Uh, so, you know, it's much easier to target Djokovic, as I said, than, a, than an unknown Czech tennis player. Um, it's much easier to target him because of his, you know, very unscientific, uh, you know, to put it politely, views on, on, on the world and, and health. Um, so he's, a, he's an easy target, an easy scapegoat, and it was always going to be broadly popular uh, to, to keep him out of the country. But the decision was never based on the, the public health uh, or the threats of public health, never based on any, any science. It was just purely based on, on shifting, shifting political, uh, deflecting political attention away from the government and on, onto the terrain that all governments prefer, which is, which is borders and, and blaming individuals. Unfortunately, the response from uh, much of civil society has been one of, uh, I, I guess, you know, to, to various degrees, supporting the federal government's decision. Uh, there's been, with the you know obviously exception of the kind of the anti-vax and alt-right crowd, there's been very little uh, criticism of uh, of this uh, you know this theatre show. I guess you could you could call it or, the, or this distraction. What, what does that say about I guess the current state of play in terms, and particularly in terms of the the left in this country, that there's uh, just a sort of a willingness to go along with this narrative, the willingness of you know to go along with the narrative of hard borders and blaming the individual for uh, you know for outbreaks and so forth and, and and you know how much have things changed really in the last two years you know we were talking before this interview about how you know there was at the at the beginning of the pandemic there was talks that you know we can't return to new normal this to the to normal sorry this is very much the result of uh, neoliberalism and and now it seems to be that everyone across the political spectrum is really just championing for uh, for harder borders for more punitive and authoritarian measures you know how, how did we get here and, and what does it say about the current state of play of uh, the left in this country i think i think what you what you're saying there is right what what we've seen is uh, after many years of really just growing discontent with tradition with politics as usual with the traditional parties and we see that at you know almost every elections you know more more people voting for minor parties more informal votes more people not turning up yeah people basically you know rejecting both both of the major parties. The pandemic, you know, uh, has been a boom uh, for the traditional parties to really once again step back in and say, look, you know, actually, we're we're here to protect you. You should have trusted us uh, all along. And 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 what's what's sort of you know certainly from from a progressive viewpoint, from a left viewpoint, is disturbing to see how how much of that has how much of that sort of push by the neoliberal centre. Uh, has impacted way beyond its its ranks and even into into progressive forces. So you look at you look at, for instance, 
you know, what, what's the basic argument that both Morrison but also many, you know, uh, progressives are using to justify uh, that he's a he's a threat to public health, and that he's he's a rule breaker, and and rules are rules, and it's I mean he, he's now been literally put in the same immigration detention that refugees have been put in, which the government for years and years have been telling us are a threat to our you know our way of life or our, our public health, and are rule breakers who ha- who haven't followed the rules. I mean we've essentially now adopted uh, that that discourse, and and somehow pretend that by using it on our own we can come out with a progressive outcome. Contrast that, for instance, from the immediate reaction of the refugees inside Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation and, and those who have been in there but are now on, on the outside and they're advocates, their immediate response is to say, look, no one, doesn't matter if you're a refugee or, or number one tennis superstar, deserves to be in these conditions. No one deserves to be treated like this. They've used the opportunity to, to shine the spotlight uh, on, on Australia's harsh, brutal, arbitrary, discriminatory uh, uh, border policies. Um, I, I, one feels like if this had happened three years ago, the, the public, res- you know, the, the, at least the response of, of progressive sectors w- would have been different. But the fact that uh, some, some are today unsure about what position to take on this or have just wholeheartedly, you know, essentially parroting the, the government's line that, yes, you know, borders are the central way to, find it, to fight a global pandemic. And, yes, people who don't follow the rules need to be punished. Um, you know, it sort of, sort of paints, paints a somewhat, somewhat bleak picture. Uh, as I said, though, thankfully, um, there have been, you know, particularly in this case, uh, you know, those who have real-life experience of what all of these means fighting. So it's not just, for instance... And, you know, refugees, asylum seekers. But we've also seen, for instance, the organisation uh, formed of, of stranded Australian citizens who just haven't been able to get back for the last two years. I mean, here, these, are, these are often the forgotten the, the numbers that don't count um, when it comes to, you know, we hear the daily case numbers and the, and the death numbers. We never hear the numbers of Australians overseas who can't get back because of uh, Australia's harsh border policy. It doesn't even allow its own citizens to return, who as a result have contracted COVID and, and died overseas. Those, those numbers don't even factor into the equation into into the political discourse so we've seen organizations of, of those of those australians or, uh, organizing we've also seen organizations here of migrant families who are fighting to get their their relatives to be able to come and visit you know people who live in countries who either have no access to vaccines or have no choice i mean we we here in australia had a big debate about whether we should have to have astrazeneca or not in most countries around the world, you, you go to the vaccine centre and you get the vaccine that's available. Um, but Australia's discriminatory policy uh, rules out some of these vaccines. So people who had no choice in it have been uh, gotten a certain vaccine for the aim of you know, helping to protect public health, uh, but today are being denied being able to visit their, their families here in Australia. Uh, so we, you know, they, they, these are the, the positive things that are occurring. Many of these people probably were never left or progressive to start with, but it's, it's the harsh realities of, of, of the impacts that the pandemics and the measures implemented by government has, helped, has forced them into having to organise and take action on these issues. Federico, the, uh, I guess the argument for lockdowns, for border closures, for QR codes and, and, and a lot of measures that I guess those of us on the left would traditionally have opposed, uh, a, a lot of the, the, these arguments were around uh, you know, giving us time to invest in, in public health, to flatten, to flatten the curve, so to speak, and whether or not those arguments were well uh, translated into the community or not, they were certainly the arguments and uh, you know, with the, I guess, the exception of the vaccine 
vaccines, what I think we can all agree on, uh, you know, is, is a, was a positive step and we needed the time to develop that. There hasn't been uh, across the board the investment in public health in Australia that uh, we would really expect or like to see. And it's left many thinking now, given that uh, many states have essentially just opened up and let uh, Omicron spread and, and you know, the, the chaos that has uh, then ensued. It's, it's left many thinking, well, what was the point, really, of having the, these lockdowns and hard borders? Do you think that uh, given, you know, the current situation of tens of thousands of new cases every day, the lack of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, sort of a huge investment in public health, what is it sort of historically demonstrated about the, the use of the lockdowns and hard borders? What, and has it, has it demonstrated that there was any real point to these, these policies or, uh, or was it just a, a case of, of the, the state sort of uh, looking after itself and now, you know, wiping its hands of, of the issue altogether? Yeah, I, I think a big problem is that uh, the, the media, commentators in the media, certain government spokespeople created this, purposely created in some cases, this false belief that having uh, uh, stopped the, the first wave of COVID, um, which was largely a result of the lucky situation of an isolated island that could close its borders very easily, and one, because of its isolation, uh, had COVID arrive later than, for instance, it arrived in Europe and in the US, so could see in first hand what was, what was ahead of it and, and react uh, in response. Um, I think in that regard, those initial measures were absolutely important because it, it was about buying time. But that's, that's what it was always about. It was always about buy, buying time in order to... Uh, you know, build up our health capacity, healthcare capacities, build up the health health measures, find the vaccine so that we could be ready for when it finally hit and be in a much better situation. The, the problem was is that some, some sold the lie that actually lockdowns and border closures could keep out a highly contagious virus forever. And many of the state governments were happy to go along with that myth. Um, of course, if you read in their documents... They were, obvious, they were always clear what they really meant. They meant until we reach uh, a certain point of vaccination and then we open the gates. After that, it's, it's everyone for themselves. You know, we're, we've done our bit. But what the state governments and federal governments were absolutely determined to do was to do the opposite of what they should have been doing when they were buying that time, which is to actually invest in any ongoing measures. Because, of course, that would mean cost for government, cost for employers. Um, uh, instead, it was the opposite. Instead, what they did was maintain lockdown measures, which by and large meant that it was working class people who got infected by COVID because they were the ones that kept the essential running. It was working class people who felt the economic brunt of that because as much as the government introduced some temporary, and they were only temporary, uh, economic supplements, they never really uh, met met the needs of of most uh, working class people. And of course, felt the social impacts of it, of, you know, I mean, it's much different being in, uh, in lockdown when you're uh, three generations of a family uh, in a 10-storey in a ten, ten apartment block than if you have four different properties all over the state that you just freely travel one to the other whenever you feel like it. Um, so working-class people paid, paid the price of that. Uh, governments sold the lie and others tried to promote the lie for their own political ends that somehow lockdowns and, and border closures would keep us safe, safe forever. And in the end, we, we got, we've come to this situation, which is always really what the governments wanted. Pay as little as possible and, and for as short amount of time as possible. Ensure that the burden is passed on, not, not to the government and employers, but on, on to working people. Hit a certain vaccination level. And then, and then it's everyone, everyone for themselves. And 
whilst people, you know, of course, look at the news today and go, oh, well, WA is an exception. WA is just a partial exception. They've, for political reasons, decide to increase their vaccination target and delay their opening. But come February 5, WA's uh, hospital system, you know, is not going to be on the brink of collapse because it already is. It will absolutely certainly enter into the kind of same situations that we're seeing everywhere else because there's been almost zero funding, whether it's been into healthcare into WA, healthcare into the other states. In Queensland's case, actually a, an overall decrease in funding to healthcare in a pandemic, which, you know, sort of can sort of blows your mind when you think about it. Um, but that's, that's really what, what this sort of story of somehow that we were going to keep this virus at bay forever through, through lockdowns and, and borders uh, tried to, to you know, uh, it, it resulted in. Just finally, Federico, I guess looking at the situation politically, as you said, uh, you know, WA, we have uh, largely, uh, you know, es- escaped some of uh, the the impacts of, of the virus just purely through our isolation and so forth. But, you know, that that's, that is definitely going to change come February 5. There has been this lack of uh, investment in public health, not just here, but around the country, as you're just articulating there. But as we've, as we've been discussing with some notable exceptions, such as people like yourself, there's been little uh, criticism from the left of this, uh, particularly from the sort of mainstream left institutions such as the Greens or, of course, uh, from the ALP uh, or even from uh, trade unions themselves with, you know, some exceptions. Do you think that this current circumstance in which, you know, we've gained 10,000 cases a day in some states or even more and, and, you know, working people are starting to suffer and and it's becoming very clear, as you say, that this was the the plan from uh, state governments and the federal government all along. Do you think this will create an opportunity where, you know, progressive voices, uh, working class voices, unions and so forth will start to to organise around these issues and will start to fight back? Because currently at at the moment there still is, you know, very much just a situation where only, you know, the anti-vaxxers and the far right are, are mobilising around this. And, and of course, I think yourself and, and, and most people listening to this uh, program would uh, would be very, uh, you know, aware and, and, and you know, cautious of uh, even engaging with any of their, their politics. Do you think that it, there's a potential, though, that a more progressive um, and left voice might come out of this? I, I think there's a potential. Um, but it probably requires at least three things to occur um, if the left is able to basically, uh, you know, collectively uh, re- reassess, regroup uh, and, and move forward. I think the first is we've got to, we've got to understand that just simply uh, calling for please to listen to the science. Uh, firstly, is, is for most people it, it is irrelevant because most people, understand, you know, there's only a small minority who don't believe COVID-19 is, is, is a serious threat. So there's no, you know, there's not like a whole bunch of people who are going around denying that, that COVID do, doesn't exist. Uh, what, but what we need more than science is, is, is a political response uh, because, of course, science isn't just a, a, a unified consensus body. There are all sorts of scientists who are rapidly developing hypotheses and theories Instead, what, what we've had here in Australia is we've decided to pick, you know, one or two or three, you know, gurus, uh, media commentators, most of which have no real scientific expertise in the area, and just decided, well, we must listen to this, um, irrespective of what they say. Now, what we need is, is more politics, not, not more science uh, in, in the debate. I think more politics also means breaking out of the shackles, which so many have fallen into, which is in this desperation... Uh, to uh, get rid of this uh, horrendous uh, federal government, which you know, I think 
most, if not all, of your listeners would would share. Um, that this can't can't just mean remaining silent or or, or even uh, basically being apologists uh, for state Labor governments. And we've seen that throughout all of this pandemic. You know, first it was holding up Victoria's Dan Andrews government as, as the the spearhead against Morrison. Of course, the, the Dan Andrews government did exactly the same as the New South Wales government. Then it was Queensland. Now, now it's Mark McGowan. At the end of the day, the, this whole two years has been a bipartisan plan. There's been no fundamental difference where it comes to federal or state government, because all these decisions have been have been agreed to at national cabinet. Significant disagreement, and all of these policies have been agreed to by the federal opposition Labor Party as well. The left has to break out of that desperation to somehow think that by remaining silent on, on Labor, by not challenging Labor, that will, this will somehow help us in, in, in getting rid of the Morrison government. Because in actual fact, as we've just seen in the last few weeks, all it takes is a couple of media stunts, like Morrison's now doing the Djokovic thing, to totally shift the, the terrain of political discussion and once again put, put, put him on, on, on a better footing. Um, I'd say it requires those. And I think it thirdly requires thinking about the real measures that probably we should have been fighting for from the start, but that doesn't mean we can't start fighting for them now because living with COVID or you know, dealing with a situation where COVID is in the community, not just a question of hospitals because, of course, what we see today is not that there's not enough beds in the hospitals, it's that there's not enough staff for those for, to, to be in those hospitals. So how are we going to change that? Now, that's not going to change overnight, but we absolutely have to, for instance, start supporting actively, like those fighting for pay increases for healthcare workers, for nurses and doctors. Because no one's going to want to enter an industry where you see this constant strain that they're under, where in fact people are leaving because of it, and where you're, where you're underpaid. Um, we have to fight, you know, for instance, for uh, the kind of things like uh, sick pay that really should, you know, well, I think if anything we've learned over two years, let's at least hope that one thing we've learned is that everyone, no matter who they are, uh, deserve sick pay so they don't have to go to work and, and, and infect their fellow workers. This is not just a, a basic human right, but it's a, it's a, it's a safety measure for, for everyone else uh, in, in society. Um, we have to learn that two years into the pandemic that this is a global pandemic and that none of us will be safe until we're all safe. So we have to you know, start raising the demand you know, much more loudly for, for global vaccine equality. I mean, I, to me, it's criminal that... We have a, 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 the facilities to produce a vaccine here in Australia, which is AstraZeneca. But rather than finding to increase the production of that vaccine for local use and to distribute in the region, most of last year was actually spent actually attacking AstraZeneca when, with no scientific basis, where there was no evidence at all to suggest that it was any worse or, um, than, than, than any of the other vaccines that are available at a much higher cost and, uh, and can't be produced in Australia to the point where essentially production of that vaccine has, is being wound back and be, will be closed off sometime this year. I mean, when, where else in the world in the midst of a pandemic does a, vac a vaccine factory get shut down? Um, we should be doing the opposite. Um, so it, I think those are three critical things. We've got to realise that science doesn't solve everything. You know, politics is key. You know, how do we build a social majority? How do we win over people to our, to our views? Uh, or to Not to our views, but to because they don't need to be left-wing to support things like sick pay. I think that's the kind of thing that makes sense to everyone, including, you know, even an anti-vaxxer. You know, why, why, why would they be opposed to, to this kind of thing? So we need to realise it's, it's about politics. 
it's about realising that Labor's not our friend in this. Like they 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 share the same policies as the Coalition on all this, and they have done for the last two years, and and, and pledged to, and are pledging to continue to do so, no matter who who wins the elections. And we've got to figure out. Well, what are the concrete things that we can organise around in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools that can start to bring people together um, and say, look, we're in this sort of long haul. There's no, no quick and easy solution. We're not, not going to be able to just do short, sharp lockdowns forever to keep a highly contagious virus out. At one point, it's going to, it's going to be here. And we, you know, we've got to fight for measures, not only help us deal with COVID, but help us improve our lives in general. Because sick pay is going to be a good thing, even if COVID disappears tomorrow. Ventilation in schools and in workplaces is going to be a good thing, even if COVID disappears tomorrow. Um, you know, all, all of these things are things that we've we, we, we got, got, to, got to do. But if we don't, then there's no, there's no guarantee that somehow the, the, the left or progressive forces come out of this uh, in any way in a strengthened position. And, and certainly the last two years has indicated that, that we haven't um, because we look, we look at the current situation and it sort of seems almost uh, unthinkable. But the reality is that today on the streets... The, the pole, the pole of rebellion, the, the pole of insurgency, the pole, pole of resistance is, is actually the, the radical right, not, not the radical left. Uh, the radical left has basically, in large part, deserted the streets over the last two years. And what we've seen is instead it's replacement with rallies of, in some cases, tens of thousands of, of not everyone, of course, at those rallies are far right, but these are rallies largely being organised uh, by, by, you know, characters that would certainly fit into the, the broad spectrum of what you could define as the, the radical right or the extreme right.